0: Today we're reading Genesis 45, through through 11 and 15. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father of Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said, God has made me lord of all Egypt, and come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him.
1: Thank you, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, Travis. Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing in church? We are going to have some fun today. We got the kids pastor preaching, and I tell you what, I call this my uh, big kid church, because I'm always with the little kids in Awana and different things, and we're usually out there playing in the gym, running around, but it is good to be in big kid church. Are you ready? We're going to get started here, and I'm really excited about today, because not only Uh, Hannah and I are getting married, but we're going to be doing ministry together our whole lives. And I'm very excited because Hannah has a passion for worship. And I've asked Hannah to come and share her testimony uh, here today. So can we give her a round of applause as she comes and shares for us today? Thank you, Hannah.
2: I'm sure that many of you have heard bits and pieces about my story and how I've dealt with migraine. But I wanted to share the whole thing with you this morning. It started when I was four years old. I would begin to wake up in the middle of the night with pain in my head. I was always very timid, so I wouldn't wake up my parents. I would sit on the floor outside their bedroom until they would almost trip over me in the morning and say, what in the world, why are you here? And I would always say something like, mom, my head hurts. And after this happened many, many nights in a row, it started to scare them. So they took me to a neurosurgeon and I had my very first MRI at four years old. And what they found in that scan was something called a Chiari malformation, which is just a fancy medical term for what means the size of my brain is too big for the size of my head, and it could cause pressure buildup and cause things like pain. They didn't think that this was what was causing the issues, so they decided not to operate then. So I continued to grow up, I started school, and eventually it became so that it wasn't just pain in the middle of the night, it was all throughout the day. And as I continued to get older, around fifth and sixth grade, it got so bad that I couldn't keep up with the people in my class, it was too loud, I couldn't take it, and my grades started to slip. So I was pulled out of school and homeschooled for three years. During that time, I was in and out of the hospital continually on different rounds of medication, which, which all made it harder to function because when you're on medication, you don't feel like yourself. But the one thing that I always made sure I did was go to church because I loved the people there and I knew that's where I was loved, but I couldn't go into the sanctuary because the, the pain was always just so severe that I would sit outside the doors and listen to worship because I craved it so much but I couldn't, I couldn't get inside. When I was probably about 14 or 15, my youth group went on a retreat and my mom kept telling me I should go. And I said, mom, how am I supposed to go when I can't go to regular church? How am I supposed to keep up with a bunch of teenagers? And she said, I don't know, but I'll go with you. <laughs> I'm sure that made me really popular because I took my mom <laughs> to a high school retreat. <laughs> But we went and exactly like I thought it would, I sat outside the doors. The very last night of, of the retreat, my mom and I were sitting on the couch right outside. I was listening and she started to cry. She got up and went inside and came back a couple minutes later. And she said, I just talked to this sound guy. He unplugged the band so that you can go in. I hadn't stepped foot in the sanctuary in three years.
1: Hmm.
2: And I went inside absolutely terrified because it had been so long. So I stood along the back wall and I started to worship. But before I knew it, I was on my hands and knees at the altar, just crying out to God because I was so sick of fighting. I didn't want to deal with pain anymore, but it was just so persistent. Doctors had told me that there was nothing they could do. I had seen... So many of them and some of the top in the nation, and they had no idea what was wrong. In that moment at the altar, people started to surround me and pray for me. And there was an intern that I had met two days before. He put his hand on my shoulder and began to pray. And he started telling me my story, which I knew was God because I had only met him 48 hours before. So in, in that moment, he started telling me the story of the woman with the issue of blood. How she, she pushed and all she had to do was get to Jesus and her pain would end. And he told me that I was almost to Jesus. That if I just kept pushing, my pain would end. And I felt something switch in my heart that night because I felt hope. I had absolutely no faith in man because they told me that they could do nothing. But I knew that I served a God that could. So I, I got up off that floor, and I continued to worship. And the very next Sunday, I was in church back at home.
1: <laughs> That's good.
2: I told my mom I wanted to go back to school. I didn't want to keep staying home. And my sophomore year of high school, I went back to private school. But it caught up with me again. I started to fall behind. I went to go see a doctor, and they said, you know, we haven't done surgery yet. We found that when you were four, but that's the last thing we can do for you. And there's only a 50% chance it'll work. So towards the end of my junior year, they scheduled surgery for the end of May. I waited till the school year was over and two days later I was admitted to have brain surgery. Unfortunately, I can't stand here today and tell you that I'm in the 50% success rate. I still deal with pain on almost a daily basis. But through that, God has showed me so much about how good he is. And you all have seen me go from where I couldn't stand in the sanctuary, right. and now I sing on the worship team.
1: Praise <laughs> hey, uh, God. Okay. Thank you, Hannah, for sharing. Um, that is just a powerful testimony. And I've asked Hannah if I could ask her a few questions so we can get her perspective in pain. And Hannah, the first question I have is, would you get rid of the pain both now and in the past? Why or why not?
2: No, because God has shown himself so faithful, even through some really dark days.
1: That's good. Uh, Second, is there any good that comes from pain? Um...
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's brought me so far. I couldn't walk into a sanctuary, (laughs) and I'm here with you now.
1: That's good. What are you most grateful for regarding the pain?
2: How much it's taught me about God and about myself.
1: That's good. And last, uh, what is your hope for the hardest days?
2: That just one person would hear my story and be able to see Jesus through it.
1: That's good. Thank you, Hannah. Can we give her another round of applause? Thank you. I love you, Hannah. Thank you for saying yes. And to, today I want to talk about uh, what we call the problem of evil, but today I want to show you that it's actually, there is a solution of evil being Jesus. And all of us can relate to Hannah We can relate to Joseph with unfair situations that happen in our lives, and we all have pain, we all have suffering, and we all see evil that's in the world. And so how do we reconcile that as Christians? And many people will say that because God is all good, because he's all-knowing, because he's all-powerful, and because there's evil, uh, this is a problem of evil. But I am here to declare that because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, He is the solution to all evil, all pain, and all suffering in your life. Are you ready to dive into God's Word this morning? And I want to start off by saying I don't know everything you're going through right now. And there's not a uh, one-size-fits-all for the problem of evil and, and pain and suffering. And I will never claim to have all the answers, but I do know who has all the answers. And that's to whom I look to, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, in this world that we live in, you will have problems, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so today my sermon title is The Solution of Evil, and the solution being Jesus. I appreciate you, Travis, for reading the story of Joseph for us today, the conclusion you did so well. And Joseph's life is a bunch of ups and downs. And we see in our lives, in Hannah's lives, there's, there's good days, there's bad days. In all of our lives, there's highs and lows. And right off in the story of Joseph, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. Talk about a bad day. I mean, he's sold into slavery, he goes to Egypt, uh, but he, he doesn't get discouraged. He always thinks, what can I do here? And so he works hard, and he uh, God his favor on him, and he becomes in charge of everything Potiphar owned. He was in the house of Potiphar, and he had everything except for his wife. But his wife uh, was attracted to him. He tried to seduce Joseph, and uh, he was falsely accused of having an affair with Potiphar's wife, if we know the story. And then he's sent to prison and he worked hard and he found favor of God in the prison. So no matter where he was at, I believe that he trusted God. Scripture isn't clear about his faith, but I know he worked hard and he always looked to God for revelation through dreams and he always knew there was purpose in what he went through. And he became in charge of the, everything in the prison and over the other prisoners as well. And then famine came to the land. And this didn't just affect Joseph. And this affected everyone. And so there's like this worldwide problem of evil with suffering. And we look at the news and everyone sees that, yes, there is suffering. And yes, there's a good God. How do we reconcile this? And with Joseph being able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams with God's help, he was positioned in being second in command over all the land to prepare for the the famine that was to come. And so wherever... Uh, Joseph was, God was positioning him into something even greater. And what we learn from the story of Joseph is this, and it'll be on the screen. What Satan intends for evil in our lives, God will bring it together for good. What Satan intends for evil in our lives, God will bring it together for good. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good not evil the good of those who love him and been called according to his purpose love God follow him and i guarantee you that you will start seeing things come together in your life and joseph had the right perspective during his times of pain and he looked to God to bring him through And I'm in Bible college now, I'm going to graduate in May, and I wrote a paper my freshman year on the problem of evil. And I want to give you my conclusion as an introduction to our talk today. I said, just because evil exists, it doesn't mean it necessarily poses a theological problem. The problem of evil is that evil exists. Man's sin created evil in the world, and evil's not a good thing. The two ideas of evil and good are completely contrary in meaning to each other. When God's attributes and the condition of the world are misunderstood, then evil becomes a problem for Christians. Only through proper understanding of God and the world that he created can the problem of evil become no problem at all. And that's that's true, but I make it sound very easy, I realize, where I say it could be no problem at all. And we can understand who God is, and that can change our perspective and what we're going through. But that doesn't mean that the pain lessens up or it gets easier, per se. But we need to trust God all the more, knowing that he's in control of our lives. And uh, I'm going to introduce this concept to you of theodicies. And a theodicy, it will be on the screen, is an explanation of why a perfectly good, almighty, and all-knowing God would permit evil. And a theodicy is more than a defense of the problem of evil. It's an end-all, be-all of the problem of evil. And here's the problem with theodicies, or these notions that we can understand God in all his ways. <laughs> the problem is we can't. And so when we try to put God in a box and say, oh, he, he gives us pain, or he gives us suffering, or he gives us evil, or there's evil in the world because of this or that, uh, because of God, it always falls short because of this. And what it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is completely completely other, and that is why we worship him. Not because we understand him, because we don't, but he's still good, he still knows everything, and he's still all-powerful to change our circumstances. That's why we worship him, because he is completely other. And there's a story of Bobby Schuler, who's a preacher, someone I look up to, and he was in an airport and there was this layover, and he was sitting by two rabbis. And these rabbis uh, um, knew, they talked about Israel, they talked about the Bible. And then Bobby asks him these, this question that I'm going to ask you. He says, Do you believe in predestination? Well, you don't have to answer. But he asks them, Do you believe in predestination? And they pause, they say, Hmm. You know, you picture a rabbi with a beard, they're like, Hmm. And they're like, um, Well, Uh, what is predestination? And maybe that's what you're thinking right now. What is predestination? And Pastor Bobby said, just like I'm speaking to you, just like I, Pastor Luke, am speaking to you in here and we're all gathered here and everybody's here with their present circumstances, did God plan this to happen? And the rabbis pause and they think, hmm. That was a long pause. And they say, and this is very profound, who can know such things? Who can know such things? And what I want to get at is that we're going to look at God and who he is, but he is so much greater. He's so much greater than our present circumstances. And so the first theodicy I want to pursue this morning is the theodicy of prayer. And have you ever prayed for something and not have it come to pass? We all have. Hannah, her whole life, was sharing how she prayed that these migraines, chronic migraines, de- de- or these migraines that just completely cripple her would go away, and they haven't. And so uh, we've all been there where we question, God, why wouldn't you answer this? And this feeling is explored in a book called Why Does God Allow Suffering, Uh, which is our topic today. And the author takes a practical look at the problem of evil, and he sympathizes with the reader and starts his book on the difficulty of prayer. He talks about how Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you in our misunderstanding of that concept. We ask for things from from God without thinking about his wisdom and will for our lives. We pray, maybe for even good things, but we pray so fervently for God to do what we want without considering the unseen consequences. And when we don't get what we want, have you ever done this? When we don't get what we want, we throw our fists up to heaven. And we doubt God's perfect plan for our lives. And there's pros to con to every uh, theodicy and this notion that we know why God does what He got does what He does. And the first is the pro of this idea of prayer. Uh, no, it, the pro is that it shows us the power of God. When you pray for something, we have to be believing in faith that yes, He can do it, and He will do it. And and number two, uh, the con, the other side of it is. God seems indifferent and evil when we think that our prayers will bring about what we want. And so, the, the problem of throwing all your eggs in a basket with maybe I didn't pray the right way, or it's just our prayers that change things, uh, God really does seem indifferent and evil, which is not the case uh, with this idea of prayer. Uh, the second theodicy I want to look at is the fall, the Garden of Eden. And have you ever heard someone say, that is just human nature? Or uh, they blame Adam and Eve for the mess that we have today. I remember Pastor Fred, uh, a friend and mentor of mine, still today, he's, he said that when he gets to heaven, he just wants to punch Adam in the face. I'm like, all right, Pastor Fred, you settle down. But well, we can all agree with Pastor Fred with this idea of uh, they messed it up. But here's the problem with that. Romans 3 tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We, even if they didn't get it right, we keep messing up, and we know that. And so there's there's the pros and cons for this as well. The pros is with this idea of all us being sinners, it shows us that we are innately evil, we are born evil. And you're like Luke, how's that, Pastor Luke? How's that a good thing? And what that means is that we need to be so dependent on God, knowing that we can't do it on our own. And that's the good thing. And the other side of it is fallen man. This idea of everyone sinners is a shallow excuse for every evil in the world. It just doesn't satisfy our soul. If I told Hannah, if you went back in time and told Joseph and yourself, like if you just said, oh, the world's just evil and we all sin, it's very shallow. And so there's got to be something deeper than, oh, this is just how it is. It is what it is. So let's look at the third one. There's got to be a purpose, and this is another concept of soul-making. This is familiarized by John Hick, and he argues that God allows evil and suffering in the world in order to develop humans into virtuous creatures capable of following his will. And this means that suffering in the world has a purpose and it can transform our lives if, it'll, if we allow it to. Did you know that? And there's pros and there's cons to this as well. Uh, the pros is that it shows us that there's purpose behind pain and suffering. We are predestined to be like Jesus. That was our purpose. And even Jesus had to suffer. In Hebrews 5.8, it says, Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And here's the con of this argument of, of soul-making, that we have pain and suffering in order to make us better, is that when I look at the life of Jesus, I've never seen him inflict people to make their soul better. What did Jesus ever do but heal the sick? Open blind eyes, heal the lame so they could walk again, raise the dead so they could live. What did Jesus ever do but restore? And that shows me the heart of the Father. That Jesus said, uh, The thief, they, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. And so, what that means is that Jesus loves you so much and he wants to restore you, he wants to make what's broken in your life new. And I know that Hannah will be healed, whether or not in this life, in the next, she's going to get to heaven. And she's like, man, I can think, my head's clear. Thank you, Lord. And I long for that day for Hannah, for all of us to be in glory and to be no pain, no more tears. Amen? Isn't that what we look for? We look to heaven in this life. And uh, we could talk about all day these ideas of theodicies and why does God do what he does? But we're looking to God for answers when God is the answer. And that's the problem is we go to God and say, why, why, why? And we're talking to our answer. And that's what happened to Moses is that he was asking God, how can I lead the people out of Egypt? How can I do this? Who am I? Uh, Can you help me out here? I don't know what to do. And he said, who should I tell them who sent me? You know what God said? He said, I am that I am. I am. That means everything that you need in your life is wrapped up into who God is. He heals. You know why? Because He's the healer. He provides because He's the provider. He restores because He's the restorer. And you better believe He's the savior. Sa- he saves because He's the savior. And we love reasoning. I don't know about you. I love to plan things out. Just know why things are going to happen. And and just hey, God, why am I going through this? Can I know now before I sign up for this? Uh and it would be great, but that's not the way it goes. And my question for our nation, for our culture, for our lives, for me, myself, and everyone here, is this question that's actually going to be on the screen. How can God work in our lives if we have everything figured out? How can God work in your life if you have everything figured out? How can I Trust, or how can God work in my life if I have everything figured out? And I've been asking myself that question. It's like, all right, God, I don't really know, but I trust you. Charles Taylor, a philosopher, said, Why was it virtually impossible not to believe in God in the year 1500 in our Western society? While in the year 2000, many of us find it not only easy, but even inescapable. That means that it's easier now, just people don't believe in God anymore. Uh, And Taylor talks about an imminent frame that Uh, the view that this world is completely natural without any supernatural. Uh, That means we have determined that we are self-sufficient with no need to look to God for revelation. And if you get stuck up with all this reasoning of why, look to God for revelation. Reasoning versus revelation. And I think of the influences in my life, the motivational speakers. I really am a motivational junkie, very self-help, and I'm like, I got this, I have the right mindset, I can do it, you know, like, you got this, you got this, and it's like, yes, but no, you don't. And I've started to ask, I started to realize, (laughs) sorry to bum me out. I mean, that will preach all day. You can do this. Yeah, you got it in you. But you don't. And you need Jesus. You need God. You need some super in your natural. How many of you just need some super in your natural? We need God more than ever. We don't got it. We haven't evolved into better creatures. And we can't uh, fix ourselves. There is more corruption and evil and sin and destruction and pain and suffering in this world today, now more than ever. And we need God more than ever. And so while the world is focused on themselves for sufficiency, let us as the church look to God for his sufficiency. And I personally know that I'm nothing without God. When I get to the pulpit, I, Hannah will tell you, I always tell her, Hannah, I feel so weak. And I always tell God, I'm so weak. I come weak to the pulpit because I know when he comes and his powers on me, I have his strength. And that's, that's what I live by. Uh, and I am nothing without God. God. And that's a very hard pill to swallow nowadays. And so as a church, as a people of God, let us look to God and his revelation. So let me give you some truths of the problem of evil. Number one, God is good. And this shows us the goodness of God. That God is good and he is all good. Meaning that he's so good that not only can he be good in our lives, but he can take what's bad and intended for evil and switch it for our good. That's how good our God is. And number two, there's purpose in pain and suffering. And this shows us the power of God, that he can take what's meant for evil and turn it to our good. That's my God. And number three, there's an expected end. And this shows us God's knowledge, that he does know the plans he has for me, for you, and our future. And he can say with confidence, it will all work out in the end because he's been there and he knows what's going to happen. That's my God. That's how great my God is. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Not of evil. To give you an expected end. And I love that. This too shall pass. This won't last forever. This pain. Hannah has good days and bad days. We all have good days and bad days. This too shall pass. Amen? we got to believe it. And CS Lewis starts his book The Problem of Pain at the heart of the matter. He says if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy, and if God were almighty, he could do what he wished, but the creatures are not happy. So therefore God lacks either goodness or power or both. Does that make sense? It's it's this evil and people would like to say, well, if God wanted to heal us, he would or he would make us better, he would. He must not be uh, he must not exist. But I, I want to argue that uh, these things, oh, the quote is up there, great, um, that these ideas of God being all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, and that there is evil, and, and if it stopped there, if it was just God and us, well, we would be toast, because there would be no Jesus, a mediator between us and God. And let me introduce you to the solution of evil, Jesus Christ. God is, number one, all-knowing. I want to pursue this more. God is all-knowing. And here's the flip side. If God didn't know or have all knowledge, he would not be in control. There would be something that eludes God. Did you know that God can't learn anything? There's nothing that can come to his comprehension about your future or, or what's going to happen to you. He already knows. He knows it. He knows it all from the beginning and he sent his son to die on the cross from the beginning and that means that he knew what was going to happen and maybe it's hard, maybe it's hard to reconcile that in our hearts. The pain doesn't get easier but we can know that God will work it all together for good and what that shows me is that heaven is real and that we're going there if we trust and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Thank you, Lord. He knows what he's doing. And number two, he's all powerful and if God did not possess all power, the flip side, God wouldn't be God. God would have created a boulder that He couldn't lift, if that makes sense. He would have given out His power, and if God doesn't have all control of everything in your life, it's like, and when you, we go through something, we think, well, God, God must not be in control. Oh, oh, shoot, they sinned. All this happened. It's like, no, from the beginning, He knew we would sin, and He planned, and He had the power to defeat death and the grave, and pain and suffering forever. And Jesus declares, and even now, he says, I am making everything new. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no suffering. We'll be with him forever in glory. Amen. And God is all good. All the time, all the time, God is good. And if God were not all good, here's the flip side. He would be an evil tyrant. Because if there's a little bit of Sin. There's a little bit of yeast and bread. It corrupts the whole thing. It says in scripture, and what that means for God is like if God had a hidden motive for your life, it's like, well, I'm good, but I sent this your way. Well, He wouldn't be all good. And again, you got to remember this, and it's so profound that not only He's is He good and will bring good things in your life, but He can take what's meant for evil and bring it back for good. And lastly, there is evil. And I want to make it clear that if there was no evil uh, and this choice between good and evil, there wouldn't be free will. Uh, choice is man's most godlike characteristic to be able to discern what is good and evil. And so there—and here, here's, here's the truth of the matter. We can look to God and know that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-good, but there's evil and there's pain and there's really hard days in this life. So what do we do? I propose, we look to Romans 12.12. 12. It reads, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And so I'm going to give you three points. Just this, now we're going into practical application of what do we do with evil on the hardest days, like Hannah says. What do we, what do, we do? And um, the first is, we have to have perspective in pain. And we have to believe that God is still good. And this is taken right from the verse where it says, be joyful in hope. And many people forget the first part of Romans 8.28, when faced with the evil that's right in front of them, all things will work together for good. And we have to have the proper perspective in pain. Instead of asking why God, ask God, how could you be using this pain, this suffering, or evil for my good? Number two, be persistent in prayer. And that's right from the verse. Be persistent in prayer. God is all-powerful. When we pray, we believe that God has all power. And our nation tends to send prayers to God during times of pain and suffering. Have you noticed this? We send thoughts, prayers. You read in social media or on the news. We send you our thoughts, our prayers. Pray for blank. Pray for a city or situation that's being affected uh, and impacted by pain and suffering. And there's this story of a non-religious resident in Manhattan after 9-11, and she said she felt an involuntary urge to call on God's name. When all around her was in chaos, she called on the name of God, which eventually grew into a desire to read the Bible and finally into a full-blown Christian faith, which is a great story. But what it shows me is that we need to be persistent in prayer, even on the hardest days. And number three, persevere in pain. God is all-knowing. We persevere knowing that he will bring us through this. Amen? Do you believe that? In your present circumstance, he will bring us through? And Romans 12, 12 says, be patient in affliction. And there's uh, a man named Viktor Frankl, a Jewish psychiatrist who survived three years in the Nazi death camps. And he observed how some of his fellow prisoners were able to endure the horror and pass through it While others simply couldn't. And the difference came down to what Frankl called meaning. And Tim Keller says to live for meaning means not that you try to get something out of life. But rather life expects something from us. In other words you must have, have meaning only when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness. Something for which you are glad to sacrifice your happiness. Isn't that so true? And so we must persevere in pain. And our lives, your life, my life, everyone here and everyone who's a Christian and who's looking to God will be constantly reminding themselves of who God is. And when you remember that God is good, that he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful, let me give you situations when you could uh, look to those attributes. Number one, look to God's wisdom when you don't know what to do. Look to God's wisdom when you don't know what to do. God knows what you need to do in each moment and trust his wisdom. And James says, Ask for wisdom, and he will give it to you. Tim Keller says, When pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we're not in control of our lives, but that we never were. Number two, look to God's power when you need a miracle. God is omnipotent. He has all power, and he has his own will and desires for mankind. God is self-sufficient and independent, and he could have never, get this, he could have never created the world, and he would be the same God he is right now. God could have never have created the world, and he would be the same God he is right now. You know what that means? Is that he created the world, that he sent his son in the world to die for you, uh, just because he loves you, because he's crazy about you, just because he wanted to. There's no reason. And number three, look to God's goodness when all you see is evil. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give him a rich and satisfying life. I love that translation. And the fourth piece of this is that there is evil. But I'm going to encourage you today to never look to evil. (laughs) You'll lose sight of Jesus. God's way is the best way, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to encourage you today with this thought. Being perfectly good and having the power to create any world God desired, God created the best world possible. Did you know that? That God created the best world possible? The world was created perfectly. If our planet Earth were 10 feet closer to the sun, it would be too hot and would burn up. And if our planet Earth were 10 feet further from the sun, it would be too cold and freeze over. Isn't that amazing? And everything in creation has an order and purpose, and we have seasons, and we have a world that's just so complex. And when we look at the intricacies of who we are and who he created us to be, we know there's a creator. There's no doubt about it. But we have to believe that our creator, God, is good, he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. He's not indifferent to your pain. He sent Jesus Christ in the world, and he says, I know, I know that pain. Jesus died on the cross for you. So we need to remind ourselves of these truths. Number one, just again, this is the first slide I gave you. Uh, God is good, and this shows us the goodness of God. Number two, there is purpose in pain and suffering. This shows us the power of God, and there's an expected end. This shows us God's knowledge. So whatever you're going through right now and whatever you will go through, remind yourself every day, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And there is purpose in pain and suffering. There is purpose in what I'm going through. Nothing is wasted when we give our lives to Jesus. And there is an expected end. Just remind yourself, this won't last forever. And even even if Hannah, and this, this will make me cry because I know if Hannah doesn't get healed in this life, and you better believe I'm going to pray for her every day that she gets healed, but even if she she doesn't, I know that one day she'll be with Jesus, and that's what I long for. I'm going to be her husband. I'm going to be faithful and, and commit to her success, but at the same time, I'm going to help her get there and bring a whole lot of people with her, amen, and it's awesome, and I love Hannah so much. I can't wait to marry her. Please, come to our wedding. Come to our shower. Thank you for saying yes, Hannah, and Hannah, yeah, right, No, I'll think about it. No, no, she didn't say that. Uh, I'll pray about it. Uh, And uh, Hannah actually will uh, conclude our message today. She gave me this acronym, and if you didn't get all the notes down, I want to encourage you to look at this acronym of hope. H-O-P-E, hold on, pain ends. Hold on, pain ends. And I know on Hannah's hardest day, she's telling herself, hold on, this pain will end. And for our lives, we can remember, hold on, pain ends. H-O-P-E. P-E. Isn't that good? Hannah, you should preach more. Uh, And the solution to this problem of evil is Jesus. It's nothing else. It's Jesus. And Tim Keller said, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. And if you know that you are in his love and nothing can snatch you out of his hand and that he's taking you to God's house and God's future, he can be a light for you in dark places when all other lights go out. Don't you like the lights on the screen? Even the title for the solution of evil, it's a, there's a light bulb. And just remember that Jesus is the light. And we, we look at the cross, and there's a cross behind here, and a lot of us have cross necklaces. But Jesus really died. He really died for you. And you remember, God could have been the same God whether he created this world or not. And he didn't design the world to be bad. He he designed it to be good, but he knew that we we had to have a choice and we chose the sin. And and every day we we rebel against him, but he's saying, "I, I made a way for you. I sent my son Jesus on the cross for you so you wouldn't be in that place. The solution's Jesus. Grab hold of him. He's the mediator. I mean, if God was good, knowing, and powerful, but he didn't send Jesus, we'd be trapped. But Jesus came down and he's saying, I want you. I want you. I want to deliver you through this. And I want to be your savior. I want to be your help. I want to be your healer. How many of you will look to Jesus today? And Jesus died on the cross for you. He took your place. He became sin and died a death that you deserved. And we know that in the act of the cross that God's for us. Whenever you look to the cross, just remember, God's for me. He's not against me. He sent Jesus. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. He Rose and he's alive, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when you're seated, everything else is underneath your feet because he controls all power and authority. And he says, I'm giving it to you. And we can be where he is. And how many of you just long for heaven? You just know, wow, it doesn't matter how hard it gets in this life. I'm going to heaven. Hannah says every day, I, this pain will end. This suffering will end. And we have to believe it, that, the, that this present suffering cannot be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. He's going to restore you back to health. If you, if you suffered pain in this life, I believe there's a great reward for you in heaven. Thank you for persevering. Keep going. Fix your eyes on Jesus every step of the way. Jesus is the answer. He's the solution to any problem, pain, suffering, evil you face today. Trust him today and for every tomorrow. How many of you say, I trust Jesus? Or if you haven't trust Jesus, you want to trust Jesus. Can we say a prayer together? Repeat after me. Let's pray this and agree, and then I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ I, know that I'm a I know that I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. God, I know that you are good. And I ask for your wisdom. I ask for your wisdom. Help me to trust in your power. You your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can I, can I pray for you as well? Uh, I'm just uh, so humbled that uh, I could speak. Thank you for letting me speak. I know God will change your life. Let Jesus in every day. Look to Him, even when it gets hard. God, I thank you so much. for this day that you've made we really do rejoice because even if it gets hard we got something to be thankful for that you are good that you are all-knowing, you're all knowing you're all powerful and god we will not get bogged down by the things of this world we will look to you every day god give us wisdom for our present circumstances. God, I just pray for healing for people who need healing. We pray for restoration, who need people who need restoration. We just pray uh, for uh, just provision where there's a need, Lord, that everything that we need is wrapped up in who you are because you say that I am. I am your provider. You're our healer. You're our source and you're who we look to in this life, God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us and that you rose from the grave, that you hold all power, Lord, and we just want more of you, more of you for each and every day of our lives and for every tomorrow. So Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, guide our lives and help for us to just live in the calling that you would have for us each and every day. We love you. In Jesus' name.